to the latest edition of the Forever Bristol City podcast. Uh, we speak the morning after the night before, because at Ashton Gate, it finished last night. It finished City 1, Coventry City uh, 2. Joining me are Dave Febbs. Welcome back, Dave. Neil Sutton and Ian Gay. Uh, guys, uh, as we normally do in these situations, let's just have a quick 30-second uh, wrap of the game, not in any of the detail, but just what were you thinking driving home last night? First of all, you, Dave. Um, I, I guess a, a kind of choker of a, of a goal to concede in the, the last minute of normal time. Um, but I think an improving and, you know, starting to see some real maturity in the way that, that, that we play and just, you know, result will probably cloud how well we played certainly second half where we absolutely bossed the game you know I, I do you know I do remember them stringing three passes together on about the 70th minute thinking that's the first time they've done that all second half that was our dominance so yeah ultimately disappointed but um, lots of lots of positives to take out of it as well okay um, Neil your uh, your thoughts on the game just in in, in summary in summary second half a lot better better than the first half. I think uh, we looked a bit tired, lethargic. I think Middlesbrough took a little bit out of our legs. Um, I think we missed Williams yesterday in, in that sort of role. That led to the first goal, obviously, in it. Um, and I think forever, whatever we say about playing youth, there's always that inconsistency that comes with youth. And unfortunately, it came back to bite us in the end. Yeah, Ian, your thoughts in, uh, in summary? I thought the positives were the second half performance. I thought we were we weren't great in the first half, uh, and we're not often great when we've got possession of the ball because we're not a possession based team. We're not good at it because we haven't got a Tinian or a play or a Hartley a playmaker in midfield. We created chances. Um, Williams didn't get booked. I mean, he tried very hard in the last minute to get a yellow, but he managed to get away without it. I thought it was a better. The second half was a better performance than against Borough, and uh, the negatives. Obviously, the defeats are negative. The first half performance, the and and once again we conceded two goals. Yeah, and uh, we 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 will go on to develop it, but we have got to got to got to do something about our um, about conceding goals. Yeah. Um, Dave, the starting uh, lineup, um, we we knew he wasn't going to play Williams, and he's resting Williams. There's an argument. I know he scored the goal, but there's an argument as well for resting Chris Martin. But he kept his place, and then in came uh, Eamon uh, Belarus. Somebody texted him across, texted about him to me as Eamon Belarus, but he blamed predictive text on that because I said I didn't know we had a Russian state in our lineup, but. Uh, any surprises in the lineup? Not really, I guess, Dave. Uh, I think it was it was either bring Benarus in or or play Cundy and play a, a more conventional back back three. And I think what we're seeing here is Pearson's selection policy, which is you you wait for your chance and then you try and grab it when you get it. And I think if you don't play Benarus when you drop when you have to leave a midfielder out like Williams because of his you know just trying to protect him, then you almost kind of break that kind of trust around the, the selection policy. So I was kind of quite pleased to see Eamon get a chance, been chomping at the bit. And uh, yeah, so I, no real surprise in the team. That was the only difference I you know, I might have seen if, if you wanted to play Cundy. Yeah. Neil, your, your thoughts on the, the team? It was predictable. But what about my 
sentiment that maybe um, Martin could do with the rest as well, because you've already alluded to players looking a bit leggy. And don't forget, they played on Saturday as well. So, yeah, you know, same for both sides. But I think the amount of running that we did on actually uh, on Saturday, I, I thought it showed in our legs. There was a few sort of misplaced passes, a few miscontrols. We looked tired. We came out fresher, actually, second half. I'm guessing the half-time team tour probably uh, had an effect on that. But uh, really, we were limited in who we could actually bring in in that situation. Centre midfield, ideally, you'd want a King or a Matty James or whatever to replace um, Williams. But uh, but you haven't got that. So you're limited. And otherwise, you're changing the formation that worked on Saturday. Yeah. Ian, was there a case? I know there's an argument he could maybe be on the naughty step a bit. Because um, all the fingers were pointing in his direction without naming him. But... Was there a case for bringing in uh, Zach Viner in that, uh, I'll call it base of the the diamond, yeah, rather than the small in stature Benarus? Uh, in a holding midfield role, which he's played before. Yeah, there is an argument to do that, and he would have uh, been effective in, in trying to stop the counter if he'd have been told to sit. Um, you could have done that. As Dave said, you could have brought Cundy in and, and played a more... Uh, a, a, a back three. <clears throat> I, I think Pearson's choices are very limited, but they're, let's not forget they're limited because of injuries again. And uh, of the players he signed, <clears throat> the ones that uh, uh, Neil mentioned are injured and have been for a long time. King's probably going to miss the season, I would guess, based on his last hamstring injury. So, uh, if you want a smaller squad, you can't have 30% of the players fit, uh, sorry, injured at any one time. And then that would then further be exacerbated by two other players leaving the squad on loan. For a, uh, so that takes from your 26-man squad, that takes 10 players out of it. Yeah. So you can't complain that you're... Whatever the reasons... Um, and it's interesting to think that the the two players he, he threw under the bus are both back here under contract in June. Indeed, one of them got a new contract. Now, that could be because um, we want to get a fee for him as opposed to nothing. Uh, but I, I, I think you can't do the two things. And, and I don't blame Pearson for the smaller squad. Yeah. Um, although he said it's what he wanted, I, I think he could do with... You might, if you're going to have those kind of injury problems, and let's not forget all the issues we've had with Joe Williams, who's now back in the team but can't play uh, three games a week. Um, if you're going to have those that smaller squad, and we need to further reduce the wage bill, as no doubt we'll come on to, then you're, you're going to be stuck with the kind of choices we've got, and I don't think it's going to be any different for the next couple of games, at least possibly okay. three. Okay, Dave, you uh, waved your hand now. I was going to come on to you to yeah. talk about the uh, opening exchanges and the goal, but what was your point you were going to raise with him? Yeah, I, 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 I don't think Nigel Pearson is moaning about it. I think actually he's seeing it as almost an opportunity um, to, to to play the to play the the players that you know around the fringes like the like the youngsters and and if anything, the youngsters have come in and actually, although Ian's right in saying that you know a small squad's exposed by injuries, we haven't. Really look like a, a side apart. You know, a few games we've looked we've looked poor, but generally we've looked like a side that can that can compete. 
the youngsters coming in, they don't let us down. Um, so I, I kind of, I kind of think it's, it's it's worked out as a bit of an option. It's not ideal, but I don't think anyone's moaning about it. I think you know his choices were were based on the end of last season when he had a load of players who were going through the motions, and he turned to the kids and realised actually the kids are not that far away, and in some cases they're our best players. So yeah. I think it's actually worked out all right in some respects. But I think actually it, it gives him a really good guidance to what he needs to do in the summer. And I think I think what we do need to do is any signings we do bring in, they need to be a bit more, you know, their their fitness record needs to be better. You know, I don't think anyone's arguing about that. Um, but I, I think it, it it means it's not such a, a big incoming in the summer as perhaps a lot of people might think it is. Yep. Okay. Let's get into a little bit of the action. I mean, we started okay, I thought. Um Sambal on the right. I don't know whether anybody else noticed this, but the scene, in fact, Tom, who works with me, he, he commented, and then in the second half, it changed. Callas, number of times when he was taking the ball out of defence, early doors, this is before the goal, there seemed to be a reluctance to use Sambal as the out ball there when he was he was in the free. And then later on in the game, when Jada Silva went right, it was almost as if Callas had the confidence to give the ball to Jada Silva that he didn't display in the first half. Did you notice that at all, Dave? Um, I think there there was a bit of that. Um, I think there's also something that says if you if you go into those wide positions, especially the way Coventry press, you end up getting sent down kind of blind alleys. And I think that's probably the, the reticence sometimes to play it to Bell is that he'll end up getting squeezed into that half of the pitch and will turn over the ball. So I think there is a, quite a lot of recycling. I also think that our are three midfielders, uh, you know, beyond Scott, so Masengo, Benarus and, and Vyman. I don't think they rotated around enough in, in those, that, those opening uh, mm. 35, 40 minutes and therefore we were a little bit kind of one-dimensional, a bit basic in the way we played. And I think we sorted that out second half and we actually got a lot more rotation through those players and we managed to get 20 yards out of the pitch. But yeah, you're probably right. We didn't we didn't use them. I, I saw on, on OTIB last night someone saying that... Um, Closer didn't uh, didn't play the ball to the silver very much either. So I think we had the same on both sides. But um, mm. yeah, probably not easy to convey across on a on a podcast. It'd be nice to get the all the magnetic board out and, and and show some kind of images of what it means. But oh, one day maybe, <laughs> one day. Neil, your your uh, thoughts on the opening exchanges and and the goal? I won't say it was against a runner play, but you know it was it was. To me, I just looked at it this morning. It was Benarus and Bell were sort of outfoxed by Hamer's pass to Matson, and he had maybe too much time to properly bring the ball under control. And then the question was Callis culpable in that at all as the ball was uh, played in? Your thoughts on the goal? I asked the same question for Ian, and I'll come back to Dave as well on the goal as well. Well, for me, looking at it last night, I mean, in, in the game, I thought we were fairly tight at the start of, start of the half, and, the, and their goal came out of complete surprise really I mean from our viewpoint up in the Dolman it's like he was afforded five yards of space and you're thinking well how has that happened we've we've started quite tightly and then reviewing it last night uh it's ball watching from my perspective by Benarus um you know he's what he's watching he's he's not aware that Matson, who's on loan from Chelsea isn't he he's got he's gone round the back of him he's not aware of where he is Callas is obviously ball watching as well, but then he's thinking that's all right because Max and Benaris will cover it in the way in which and Williams, Bell's there as well, and Bell's there as well in the way in which you know they were dropping the 
Williams was dropping back between the two and dropping the runners. So, um, yeah, I mean, awful goal to concede. Another one. Awful. Somebody would, coming in on the blinds. I, I, would, I would imagine that Pearson was just like, oh. Here we know. go. But, it, but it's, you know, when you're playing young players like Benarus and you're asking him to track runners back into his own box, that must be a completely new idea for him. And although he did it a number of times during the game, it's not a natural thing for him to do in the same way it's not natural for Sam Bell. Yeah. Ian, uh, your thoughts on the goal, and Dave's made a point there about Benarus, it's not natural. I said about Viner coming in, and you agree with me that he could have done. I thought when that team was picked that we were going to see Masengo in that anchor role because he has played deep and he's got a bit of physicality about him that Benarus certainly doesn't have. So your thoughts on that and the opening goal? Okay, first of all, let's pick up the shape of the midfield. Yeah, I would have done the same. I, and I, I would have done it even more differently. I'd have played Alex Scott on the right of the diamond, Eamon Benarus on the left because they're naturally right and left-footed although Scotty can use both, well, both players can, to be honest. I'd have played Masengo in the deeper role and then Vyman's appointed a diamond. The goal was ball-watching. The ball came a long way diagonally, so I'm not blaming Callas for not getting across. When you're playing right back, you, you've got to get round on the cover, and Sam didn't. And Eamon's not a natural uh, defender, and he's not a natural defender on the right-hand side. And as Nigel Pearson said after the game, um, you could yeah, blame me uh, for playing players out of position. And he was obviously referring to Sam Bell and possibly Eamon in, in that right of a three in midfield. So, um, yeah, it was a, once again, it, it's a poor goal. And we, we have a habit of conceding poor goals born out of mistakes. Look, if someone... Whizzes, whizzes the ball in the top corner from 35 yards. I'm the first one in, in the ground to just put my hands up and say, fair play to the lad. There ain't much you're going to do about that. Um, but the both goals last night, I thought, were very avoidable. OK. Dave, let me have uh, your say on the goal and the position of, of, of various players. That, Ian, agreeing with me that Masengo, a more natural choice to play at the base of the diamond, but Benarus and Bell caught out for the goal. Bentley, no chance. Yeah, I, I guess Benarus is, I'd say, right right side of midfield or right forward is probably his natural position. So I don't think he was necessarily out of position. I guess, you know, championships what, when are... What, when he's really left-footed? Yeah, yeah. He's played majority of his football for under-23s on a, on a right side, cutting in on his left left foot. That, that's, that's, his, that's his position. Or in, in the ten, he can play in there as well. But yeah, he's he's typically played on the right the right side of midfield or forward line. Um, Bell, yeah, we you know he's come in there and he's just trying to do a job, isn't he, for a, for a few games hopefully. Um, but the, the goal the goal is an interesting one. I, I just I, I took about five or six screen grabs of the, of the highlight, and you know once again it won't come across very well on the podcast. But the the centre back gets the ball inside their half about ten yards, and Alex Scott is three or four yards away from Hamer. Hamer's moving towards the ball because the ball's going to go out to the right centre-back. As we move on, Scott starts to move to try and cover back into the kind of left centre-back position. And he actually leaves Hamer. So he now, by the time the ball gets played in the Hamer just inside their half, Hamer's now 15-yard space from, from Alex Scott. Benarus is tracking Matson all the way until the point where 
uh, Hamer makes the pass, and then for some reason he steps forward three or four yards, and and that's you know that's ultimately where it is. So he's kind of got sucked towards watching the ball. Callas is playing the cover around closer, so he then can't get back across. And you know, Bell is picking up there. Is picking up Bidwell. So you know, if if if, if Benaroo still marks that goal, doesn't happen. But he switched off, and you know, so a couple of little errors in there leads to leads to a goal. And you know, Hamer a little bit of time on the ball. You know, he'll pick the pass, and he'll he'll do that all day, as we as we yeah. as we saw. So, yeah, I guess you know, my usual thing on these kind of things is shit happens. You know. Hopefully they'll be looking at that this morning in the video room and saying, "Look at all the things we did we didn't get right here." And as long yeah. as they learn from it, then then great. Well, that's the key thing, Dave, isn't it? As long as the uh, the players learn from it, and we're not in a relegation or playoff challenging situation, so these lads are getting minutes. You know, I think they're intelligent. You know, hopefully they will uh, learn from uh, from these things. I thought the atmosphere last night was really good, not least because the 1800 Coventry fans uh, kept it going right the way through the game. And the second half, uh, the first half wasn't bad, but the second half was pretty good, I thought, really. And uh, it started off, uh, I've got here with um, Semenyo hitting uh, the bar, yeah, for us. I think that was from a corner. Um, O'Hare, he went on that mazy run when uh, he should have scored. But... uh, Neil, the goal that put us back into it, it was well, the equalising goal just after the hour. It was in the style that we've been accustomed to free-flowing football. Scott to Jada Silva, back to Scott, cross, Vyman header across goal, and there was uh, Chris Martin headed in. Good goal to, to, to create and watch from the fans' perspective, but, you know, classic new-look attacking Bristol City play. Well, before I come to that, Dave, yeah. if it's okay, can I just talk about Semenyo's chance in the first half? Go on. Before we move to the second half. Because that chance in the first half was one he's been banging in that, over the thing, out that back pass. Oh, when he screwed it wide. When yeah. he screwed it wide, yeah. he could have played in Wyman for a tap-in. Or he could have hit it with his right Or he right could have foot. hit it. When he, came, when he came through on his left foot, I thought, here we go, he's going to bang it exactly yeah, what he's done the last, yeah, yeah. the last few months. And he mishit it in a way in which Semenyo of, used to of the old of a year yeah, ago, right. of a year ago, right. eighteen months ago, yeah. the mishit or whatever with yeah. it. So, so in the spirit of British, in the spirit of F- FBC podcast being negative, I chose to leave that. I chose <laughs> yeah. to leave that one out. So, so he's only human after all. At the yeah. end of the day, he's been superhuman the last few weeks, but he's only human. But yeah, slot it in and Vyman straight in. The goal itself, one. Scott tried that ball a number of times last night. Wonderful sort of slice cross to the back post. Um, Vyman, who I thought had a very, very quiet game, other than that, and beforehand I was thinking he's having another one of his quiet games. Great header back across because Vyman in the air is not the best. Mm. Cross is coming in from either flank. He's not the best of winning those headers in, in the box. But great awareness, great header across. And it's great to see uh, Martin with the goal again. Well taken goal in the centre. But very well constructed goal there. Yeah. Ian, uh, the goal, I guess if we'd have conceded that goal, we'd have been screaming at our central defenders because Vyman was sort of, not Vyman, well, Vyman was free for the header and Martin just stole uh, in there. Your thoughts on the goal, uh, Ian? Well, it's good movement by Vyman. And uh, Scott saw the pass and picked him out. And as Neil said, he tried that a few times and it hadn't quite come off. But it's clever movement 
by by Vyman to pull off the back stick, um, and to to head it across. And Chris Martin's good at finishing those with his head. Um, great combinations. Once again, it's the WSM. I totally agree with Neil on the Semenyo chat, and it's strange with Antoine because he is the king of the assist. Uh, he's not just a, a striker that scores goals. He gets lots of assists. That's why I'm surprised that he didn't didn't square it um, for Andy Weidman, as you say, would have been a tapping, but perhaps he didn't get his head up, perhaps he didn't see him, perhaps he got a bit excited. Who knows? Um, but I, I can't criticise uh, Semenyo for <laughs> lack of goals and assists after what he's done since he's, uh, since he's got in the team. But yeah, good, uh, good equalising goal. And at that point, I thought we had a, a good chance of, of winning the game. And I think from the opportunities that we had, um, we should have won the game. But in fairness to Coventry, their keeper made a couple of good saves coming out at players' feet. Um, and I thought on Saturday, I thought if you just swap the goalkeepers over, we could have got battered. Um, but last night, I think Coventry's uh, keeper was... Um, Every bit is good, if not better than Dan Bentley. Well, interesting. I'm sure you know this fact here, but Simon Moore, he was one of our loanee or loan to us goalkeepers about six or seven years ago. I can't remember who he yeah. was, uh, who we loaned him from, but uh, you know, he he's he he is a good keeper. Um, Dave Ian talked about the goal, and we looked as though we'd go on and win it. And I mean, if you want to put your comment in about the goal, and then I just want to talk to you about. Coventry's overall play, but your thoughts on the Coventry's equalising, uh, sorry, our equalising goal, our equalising goal. Good one, wasn't it? I think, I think the guys have summed it up. I think it's nice actually to take that short corner and not and not waste it <laughs> like we have done. I, I, I didn't, uh, normally I'd be like, oh, not another short corner, but actually I was kind of a bit patient there because I said to the guy next to me, they've left two up again here. They keep leaving two up. And we decided that on that occasion to go 2v2 and not go 3v2 at the back. So that, And maybe that just extra man just made the difference because it meant that they were one man short. And that's probably why Vibin got to peel off at the back post um, without perhaps having someone else on him as well. So, you know, yeah. I just you know throwing out possibilities as to why we might have actually made that short corner work because actually we had that extra man. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it was a really good goal. Really good goal. Sorry, your, Ian, the second Ian part of the question was? Yeah, and the second part of the question was, Ian said that, you know, we had chances and the keeper saved a couple of times and then Semenyo hit the bar. That might be after the goal. In fact, pretty certain it was after the goal. But down the other end, Coventry were busy, to use Lee Johnson's phrase, busy bees. I'd already commented on that O'Hare run, which uh, should have brought a goal. His finish was as weak as Semenyo's. And then we had um, Matson, a quick exchange of passes on the edge of the box. Good save by Bentley. Hyam hit the bar. You know, it, it, we, 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 we had, it was a good second half, but they were always in it. You know, we were never dominating enough, were we? I think, I think we dominated up to probably around about the 70, 75th minute. And I think, I'm not saying subs changed it, but there was a bit of a lull for a few minutes before the subs, and I thought, oh, here we go, we'll, we'll make the subs now, we'll, we'll kick on. Whether we were going to do enough to go and win the game or not, I, I'd probably, having been one down at half-time, I've taken a, taken a draw every every day of the week, but I think that the last 15 minutes of the game became much more even, a bit more end-to-end, um, and Coventry probably got back into it a bit, having, I thought we bossed it, I thought, you know, Alex Scott just got on the ball 
15, 20 yards into their half and just made us tick. Um, and we lost a little bit of that, I thought, in the in the last 15 minutes. I thought Coventry's pressing and intensity, certainly as the ball went into midfield, was brilliant all night. I think they were a little bit more physical with us. Anton had a real, well, and Chris Martin had a real battering from their centre-backs all, all game. And I don't I don't think we actually got a lot from the ref, actually. There was a, you know, occasions where Semenyo spun away from someone, got tugged back, and then, you know, the guy doesn't get a booking. And then someone like Hyam's case, he'd been yellow-carded as well, and you thought, a stronger ref, if he'd have booked him earlier, Semenya might have had the chance to get away a little bit more. And it didn't quite didn't quite happen for us. If Silva had a, a good chance where I, I'd hoped he'd put his laces through it, but he tried to kind of stroke it and the keeper saved it. There was a good header from closer that that went just wide. So yeah, we were knocking on the door, but but so were they. And I, I think both teams would have probably been happy with a point at the end of the day. Unfortunately, they yeah. went on and got the winner. All right, I'll get into the goal and I'll come to each of you in turn, but back to uh, uh to, to, to uh, Neil first. I mean, we first half, I think the possession was six, well, well into the 60s from us. By the end of it, it was more 59, 41 yeah. in our favour. I Again, a friend of mine texted me through the, in the second half. He said, I'm getting a bit fed up with this tippy-tappy between Callas and Kloss at the back. Um, did, you, did you notice that was a cause of frustration. We seemed to be well, getting that possession up because we were doing this meaningless stuff a la City under Sol. Well, I, well, Graham and I, Graham Clappish sits behind me, we turned to one another around about 60, 65 minutes and we thought there's a few players out there that are dead on their feet. Mm. Burns, um, Burns, Bell. Bell. Can you think of West Burns? West Burns, right wing back. But, yeah, right wing back. Uh, Sam Bell looked got to about 65 minutes, looked knackered. Benarus looked very, very tired and we kept playing with him. For me, closer got to about 60 minutes and looked knackered. I was quite surprised that they didn't put a press on closer. In the second half, they allowed him to have quite a bit of time and space, but he looked very tired last night. Um, as to Dave's point that he makes quite rightly about the holding on to the players, there were a number of times last night that closer was doing that as well and tugging and and the ref let the advantage go on and didn't pull him back. The one thing I'd say with closer, love the guy, love his control, love his attitude. But when he gets tight to players, that's two games in a row now that he's been turned. He gets too tight and then he gets a bit out muscled and a bit yeah. and, and turned. And he does go into the shirt then he does do the grabbings and all the rest of it with it. So I think Last night got to about sixty-five minutes, and there was a lot. Of, there was at least three there yeah. that were dead on their feet. Closer being one of them, and I think that is why we got into the tippy tappy a little bit with closer because he, he, he was just knackered. He was knackered. So three, he picked up games. on what? So you're saying it's not so much the substitutions because I thought when Pring came on, I thought he, he Again, did okay. Gave him that burst of speed yeah. that you're never going to see him do that under twentieth minute if he's a starter because he. Can't sustain it, but you know, and, and Jada Silver went on the right, which he is becoming more accustomed to there uh, as well. Anyway, all right, let's get into the goal, uh, the, what proved to be the winning goal for them. I mean, whereas we concede a lot, I know this was in the 89th minute with Coventry. I think that's their ninth goal in 89 minutes or more. So they're specialists coming in. Um, the goal, as I see it, it was Hanoa Masengo's being have a finger pointed at him a bit, but I think it was a combination of Williams and Masengo. And realistically, that stage of the game, 
Masengo could have taken one for the team and bought the bloke down, the bloke being Hamer, who actually set out for Jocker is to score with a confident finish. But first of all, it wasn't just Masengo's fault. And when he was the last man, should he have taken him out? Or again, you said about Katz as well. So you first, Neil, on the goal as you saw it. And I'll come to Ian and Mark, uh, Ian and uh, well, Dave after that. You're, you're quite right. Looking back on it, I thought Williams was a bit slow when he came on. Yeah. I, I he got clattered in his first touch. He got though, clattered he? in his first touch. I didn't think he was quite up to pace the game. But Masengo, last few games, there has been what must be called Masengo moments almost, doesn't it? Mm. Where, where we're at the end of the game and whether it be in injury time or whatever, where he's given the ball away, he's going on mazy dribbles, he's trying to shoot. He's... So I don't know whether it's fatigue with regards to Masengo, but that, that sort of breakaway goal from a Masengo error has been coming for a number of games. We got away against Middlesbrough a couple of times where they broke away. For me, it's almost going back to the... Swansea game when Pearson spoke about bravery. Masengo is not a cynical player. That's the one thing he can't be labelled. But if that was Williams or Scott running behind Hamer last night, he wouldn't have got within 30 yards of the goal. And he wouldn't have been ascending off because it would have been just Plays outside the centre circle. And, yeah. it, they, they, would have, they would have been brave and they just would have... In the 89th minute, when you've got a player running towards goal like that, after your mistake... You take him out. You take him out. I'm sorry. I mean, that's not an ethical situation <laughs> to describe, but you've got to be brave in that situation, and you've just got to say, "I either go for the ball, or I go for, go for the man." One of one of it. You have to be brave in that situation. And I know that Joe had a bit of a slip, misread the ball, and he was away. But it was Masengo who was behind him, running alongside. I mean, that's what Masengo does a fair bit. Actually, is running alongside. And I don't quite get this running alongside the player. Either, you, either you're going to get a tackle in or you're going to take the man out. Either way, they, he does a lot of running alongside players. Mm. And he's, he's done it for a number of years, okay. actually. Ian, um, the goal, I mean, I've seen it on the forum today. Somebody said, if Casey Palmer does that, and he did that a lot, lost the ball in those types of situations, you get slaughtered. But because it's uh, Hanoa, Masengo... You know, cult figure at the club, he he's not getting the pelters that maybe he should or shouldn't he? You know, was there a fault at the back? You know, with maybe Callas not getting across. Your thoughts on what was a winning goal here? Uh, <clears throat> young player makes mistakes. Shocker. Um, the lads, the lads made a mistake. He's left the pass short. Williams has not made the tackle that he normally would. Whether he's fighting to get him booked. Uh, and, or he wasn't up to speed with the game. Uh, I don't really know. If he can't play uh, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, don't stick him on the bench. Uh, but I think we have to out of necessity. Um, when One thing I noticed, when Coventry broke, they broke. And they broke at pace and they kept going forward. We've got a terrible habit of breaking then stop him. And what that does, it just allows sides to get back in place defensively. Yeah. Um, and when we break and we do it really well, uh, the best example I could give you was the first half against Derby. We create numerous chances and we should have gone in 
we did the podcast the next day and there was a Derby fan on it and he said, God knows how you were three or four up by half time. I got it was it was awful. So yeah, he made a mistake. Uh Goy Chris was a, a that lone striker role, the one at the top of a uh a, a three four two one or a three is it's hard work. Um, and he was a nuisance. He's a big lad, and for a big lad, he's got to turn the pace. So, yeah, he got that goal. Could Dan Bentley have done a bit better with it as well? I don't, I don't think that it was, it was great goalkeeping. He sort of flapped his hand out a little bit. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it was one that he definitely should have saved by a long way. So, yeah, I mean, if you're going to play, I'll go back to Dave's Shatton's analogy. You know, if you're going to play three young lads in midfield, um, they they are going to make mistakes. Just to not be pedantic, but if it had been Scott chasing him back and he'd tripped him up, he'd have gone off because he'd already had a yellow. Mm. So you you need to be a bit careful uh, with that. But yeah, should he should he have uh, took a booking for the team? One thousand percent, he should. Okay. Okay. But if you if you haven't got it in you, you haven't got it in you. It's as simple as that. No, so uh, he's not. He's too. He's too nice, Dave. Um, as you say, shit happens, and Nigel was. Philosophical in uh, defeat. Um, the goal, a mistake. Yeah, avoidable mistake. Once a mistake had happened, could things have been done to prevent it? I think so. Yeah, you know, Semenyo's let the ball roll roll across him, and then he's got closed down by Hamer, and he's tried to get a little touch back to to Williams, um, and w- Williams has missed the tackle ultimately. You know. I've, and that's not absolving Masengo from the blame in that because it was a, a short pass. But you know, Joe Williams would have normally cleaned him out, I think. <laughs> you know, so that that's the first kind of problem with it. And then actually, it's it's not until probably Hamer gets probably thirty yards out, maybe thirty-five yards out, that Masengo is alongside him. So I kind of dispute what Neil said. He runs alongside him for a long way because he doesn't. He's still trying to catch him up because Hamer had ten yards on him at the, at the start, and then. Yeah, actually, you know, I just see that along as they get to the kind of little white rugby line. That's when Masengo gets tight, tries to put him off the pass, but Callas for some reason has moved left towards closer and left and left Jokeres on his own in that kind of inside left position. So I don't think it was great defending by by Thomas Callas either. But you know, you can if you want to individually blame players, you can. You know, and there are some faults in there, but there's some collective issues there that we, we got wrong and that's what happens when you're on the break. I think, you know, when we say Coventry break really well and they, you know, they mean it when they break. And I think we do that when we haven't got people like Callum O'Dowda in the team. We actually break with purpose, you know, and Vyman and Semenyo, et cetera, you know, are, are players that, you know, they, they kind of go for the juggler. And in some respects, we we go for that killer pass perhaps a little bit early and and then we're not clinical enough with it. And you know Coventry yeah. made us made us pay last night. I don't think Bentley had a chance for goalies as he's coming out. Jokeres has slid it in, and that 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 position down close to to Bentley's left foot is a goalkeeper's weakness on a on a one on one. And you know he slid it underneath him. He got a little bit of a body on it and slowed the pace of it a little bit. But yeah, no, it, it happens. You know Jokeres, as Ian said, is a a really good forward player. You know he's a if if you thought you had to get rid of Chris Martin and you were looking for a type of player to play up front with Antoine Semenya. You'd be looking at cloning Jokeres or cloning Emil Reese jacobson at Preston. Those are the two types of striker that if we were going to look for a striker in the summer, 
those are the ones we, we need to be looking at. Strong, quick, run the channels, give your defenders an uncomfortable time. And that's what, you know, to be fair, that's what Antoine's done when, you know, when he's come in the side. So it's not like we haven't got a player doing that. And I thought Chris Martin last night, again, some of the stuff he, the punishment he took back to goal was was incredible without actually getting anything. And, you know, I take Neil's point that closer had his hands all over Jokeres as well at, at times as well. But yeah, you know, that it, both both sets of centre-backs had, had handfuls last night and it was it was quite good watching them them compete against each other. But yeah, ultimately a, a poor team goal to give away in that position because you could even look at it and say the position De Silva receives the ball, why hasn't he actually travelled forward rather than coming back inside? So lots of little things, you know, and I'd say hope, hopefully they're, they're looking at that in the video this morning and uh, yeah. starting to look at where they can do things better. Yeah. Um, after the match, uh, Pearson said the game was, uh, he thought we were excellent, his precise words, yeah, as good as we played this season. Mark Robbins, uh, uh, a manager often linked with us on more than one occasion over the last 10 years, has come in here, he said, wasn't our best display of uh, the season, but one of our best wins. And he said, but one of our toughest games of the season. Uh, Neil, you know, Mark Robbins, he's he's done a decent job there, and you know he's not got they're they're not going to be losing sort of sort of money that we seem to lose year after year. But is that a fair summation? Excellent by us, and you know praise from the opposition manager. And I know Ian's got a view on that, which I'll come on to him next. But your thoughts on what both managers thought? Well, I think if you were looking at our team sheet last night and you were seeing. A load of the a load of eighteen year olds and twenty year olds and twenty two year olds, and then you saw the performance. You couldn't fail as an opposition manager to be impressed. I mean, Wilder at the weekend also said, you know, they've got some very very good youngsters there, and it and it is difficult. It's a very very tight division. How many of our games are decided by one goal, mm-hmm. either way or whatever? I mean, it's so tight. It's it's not really a, an ideal situation to blood so many young players in really you know because uh, mistakes one mistake and like Ian said you know one mistake and and that's the game away from you yeah. whether it be you know but um, I think with regards to it they're going to lose a couple of players at the end of the season Hamer's out of contract yeah. and he's not going to be staying Matson's on loan Matson's on loan um, don't get me started on loans again but there you go with it but the um, but I think with it I think there are a lot of positives to it Really, I'd be interested to see whether how long Tanner's out for, because I'm not sure he can play. Whether Bell's going to be playing at right back again on Saturday, that would I be an, an interesting. That, that would be an interesting thing away from home. It's got all the at makings. The city ground, yeah. At the city ground, it's got all the makings of like a Tanner at West Brom type situation yeah. where half an hour in, oh, this isn't working. We need, we need to. We or, always, or Scott always. or Scott at home, of course, yeah. when he took Scott yeah. off. Yeah. We always play Danny Simpson. Oh well, you know. Ian, yeah. uh, you you took a dim view of uh, Mark Robbins praising us. Well, this praise by saying we gave them one of their toughest games of the season. And what do you say to Nigel saying we were we were excellent? I thought that was a little bit over the top. We were good, and so we were excellent. I thought we were uh, we were very good in the second half. I don't I don't think we were anything like excellent in the first. Um, but should we have won the game? Yeah, I think we should. Uh, should we have at least got a point? Yeah, I think we should. 
in terms of the other managers, like, it's something that happens when you lose games. Um, more often, I would say as often or more often than when you win them. You know, the other side come out and, oh, they're, they're a good team and they're this and they're that. And, yeah, we have got some good young players. We know that. Um, hanging on to them is going to be a different matter and no doubt we'll come on to discuss that. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I find it slightly patronising, to be honest. And I'm sure he, I'm sure Mike Robbins didn't mean it that way, but I'd rather they said, you know, we're a bunch of thugs and we beat them 2-0. Um, that's, that's my kind of after-match comment from yeah. their manager. You know, I, I don't know how Bristol, they always call us Bristol, don't they? I don't know how... I don't know how Bristol won that game. Don't care, mate. It's, have a look in the book. Yeah. Dave, um, excellent Yeah, praise from the manager about our youngsters, the, but the winning manager, of course, yeah, so he could be uh, giving out that praise. But your, your thoughts looking back? Yeah, no, I don't, think, I don't think it was excellent. I think, you know, first, first half was a, I'd say it was a pretty even first half. We went in 1-0 down. We weren't great. They weren't great either. They were they were better, probably defensively in the press. And then second half, as I mentioned earlier on in the polis, that we dominated for half an hour in that second half, and or maybe maybe twenty five minutes. And then we had that bit of the lull, and then the subs, and then the game was pretty even after that. So I'd say you know if it was a boxing match, we'd probably win it on points. But I think ultimately, you know, is in a low scoring sport, probably a one-all draw was probably about fair. I think as the home fans, you always get a bit excited sometimes, don't you, that it was a better performance than not. Sometimes you might see it the other way and take the kind of dim view of how we played, but I guess it depends on whether your glass is half full or half empty, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think I think a fair result overall was was a draw. Um, and unfortunately, we ended up on the, the, the other side of it. I, I, I think there, you know, I think Nigel's probably referring mainly to the second half where we for a period of play, we were we camped in their half. They couldn't get the ball out from their keeper to their to their centre backs. Then they started to go long, and we still camped them in. You know, and I said earlier, you know, Scott kind of marauding around their half around the centre circle, or just just beyond playing passes out and dictating our our kind of patterns was 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 really good to good to see. But you know, you we think, lost. I mean, Scott was getting a lot of uh, plaudits, and I'm sure there was a host of. Uh, Premier League scouts uh, there last night. Um, you know, do you think he's he's the one of the three most likely to get a bid because he's under contract for what till twenty twenty four? I think, yeah. I mean, twenty five. Twenty five is it? Okay. Um, you know, Scott. Um, you know, he, he, he. How you've described the performance, Dave? He would have impressed then the uh, the watching scouts without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, he's 18. Jeez, you know, to be dictating player in the championship in the centre of midfield is hard enough for your most experienced player, let alone someone who's 18, who's quite slight, albeit he's got a nice bit of edge to him, I think, as well. Um, yeah, I can't can't praise the kid highly enough. You know, you know, you normally get players who come in at 18, 19, 20, and they they kind of you give them a bit of leeway in terms of oh, they come in, they've, they've done okay, you know, they've they, They've not let us down. Those are the kind of rhetoric you hear around players like that. He's he's one of our best players every, every week, and yeah. you know you can't give him any more praise than that. I don't think. And he's 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 slightly built, and 
you compare him to Sam. Is he the same age as Sam Bell? He's younger. Bell, Bell's he's younger. 19. But, sorry, Bell's... Bell's 19. Yeah, because Bell, like, Bell looks like... Alex Scott's, little, Alex Bell Scott's the youngest. Like, yeah, Alex he's younger than Benarus. He's younger. He's younger than Benarus as well. Benarus is older than him. Yeah, no, it's interesting the physicality. Um, De- uh, Neil, um, I was listening to Chris Honor's comments on Radio Bristol after the game, and pre-season he said somebody needed to step up to the plate for us and give a little bit more was Jada Silva. And I know you don't like Jada Silva playing on the right, but Jada Silva he seems to have got over his shin splint problems, and we've got a tidy little footballer there, haven't we? Yeah, your comments just just on Jay. Just on Jay. I can't talk about Alex at the moment. Go on, you talk about Alex. Yeah, go on. I think one of the really, for me, the most impressive thing about Alex Scott is he's willing to do the dirty work as well. He's on the front foot and going forward, he's got obviously the talent that we can see. But there was a time last night where Gokaris did him on the left wing and he was on the right wing and he lost it and he chased all the way back. And he got him. And he got in. And he let the ball run out. He out-muscled Jokeric last night. Yeah. And you just thought there, if you were watching that, you're like, here's a lad who's coming to the team at 18. He's not a backinson, look at me, or an under-23 from a premiership club who wants all the time in the world, just wants to play the game that he wants to play. Scott also is willing to put his foot in. He's willing to do the dirty work. If he loses the ball, he's willing to sprint back. He's not looking at others saying, expectations that others are going to cop you know, cover my mistake or whatever like that. So that, for me, was one of the most impressive aspects of his game last night, really. The way he actually, you know, put himself about and was willing to be on the edge of our area, putting tackles in or up the edge there. It was a real box-to-box thing. Jada Silva, I think, had one of his best games for a long time last night. I completely agree with you. He, he, He looked playing on the left. I I do prefer him on the left rather than the right. But on the left, I thought, yeah, he looked a bit more composed, a little bit more with it. And his touch was was good last night. And actually, he was closing down the players a little bit more as well, getting tighter to them, actually, because he's got a habit of sort of standing off um, uh, players at, at fullback. But he was, he was getting tighter to them last night. I was actually impressed by his uh, performance, I have yeah. to say. Okay, that's good. All right, let's start looking forward to uh, Saturday. Just need to wrap up in a minute. I'll come to you first, Ian. I mean, before we talk about Saturday with you, Naki Wells. I mean, he, you know, he's thirty-one next birthday. If he isn't thirty-one already, his career is going down the toilet as long as he stays with us. But then, at twenty-seven grand a week, you know, he's not going to get that anywhere else, is he? Your thoughts on Naki before we look forward to Saturday? Well, Naki wanted out in in January, and we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't do the deal. Uh, and I can understand why we wouldn't, because the squad's depleted enough without loaning one of our rivals um, a goal scoring player. And uh, it's all very well saying, well, he's not in the squad, but only wants Vyman, Semenya, or Chris Martin to get a knock, and he, he will be or not in the not in the squad, not in the team. Um, he will be. Uh, you could. You know, we talk about the, our inability to rest Chris Martin. And I think it does affect him because, as I said, I've been saying all season, I agree with what they said, he gets battered every single game. Um, we haven't got a natural replacement. Antoine can play in that one, but is Naki to, and Naki possibly go alongside him? So that's one alternative. If we want to rest Chris or, ever, God forbid, he gets a knock. 
Um, it's a very difficult situation. He's got one year left on his contract from this summer. Uh, he's earning an awful lot of money. Yeah. And I can't see any way that our club, because don't forget, we haven't got any cash before yeah. somebody says pay him off. We There's no cash. And we are um, heading for, in my estimation, I sat down and did some uh, numbers. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to lose 10 million this year because that's about our average loss. Sometimes it's often been more. We're going to finish up in the financial fair play situation uh, with a loss, uh, not now, but the following season, uh, when this season's accounts are taken into account of around 56 million. So I can't see, so that would leave us 17 million in excess of um, the allowance under financial fair play. So do we need to move players on? Absolutely, we need to move players on. How do we do that if the players won't move downwards? Um, It's very difficult because post-COVID, Naki Wells will not attract that kind of salary, even if we give him a free transfer. No. So it one way or the other, it's going to ease it. Let's, let's say someone comes in. Let's make stuff up. Let's say someone comes in and says, well, I'm not going to pay you that, but I'll pay you 12 grand a week. That leaves. Uh, then if I'm him as a family man, I'm saying, right, OK, well, you give me the 15 grand a week. Well, give me three and, quarters of a million quid, basically, and I'll go. Yeah, but no, you can't do that, Dave, because I've just told you we haven't got any cash. It's like me asking you for four million pounds. You haven't got it. So it that is so so what you could then say is, well, okay, then we'll pay you that 15 grand a week for a year. I don't even know legally if you're allowed to do that, but let's just say you do that as some kind of staggered severance payment. Um it's all the time, Ian. We did what? it, we did it, we we did it with um J Emmanuel Thomas. Ipswich sold him to us on a free. We paid half of his wages. They paid half of his wages until his contract was up. And then he obviously we right. couldn't we couldn't pay him twenty grand a week because we'd only been paying him ten grand. So yeah. at the end of his he contract, went. he buggered, buggered off to QPR for his twenty grand because that's what he wanted. That's yeah. why he well, didn't stay here. Yeah. Okay. Right. So so let's assume that we can we can do that and stagger the payment. Then you say, well, okay, what does that give us the ability to do? And it could you could say, well, it, it gives us then the ability. Uh, because we're paying 15 to pay somebody else eight. Uh, sorry, 15, the difference between 15 and 27, which is about 12, isn't it? Yeah. So you, you you then say, well, okay, we can bring in somebody on 12 grand a week. And post-COVID, um, you might get somebody younger, taller. Well, you might get somebody who you want to play. You might get somebody who the manager would play or that substitute for Chris Martin. Because as you say, if Chris Martin's injured, We've either got to, you know, play Antoine there or change the way we play. Yeah, but that's yeah. for another day. Let's yeah. quickly look forward to uh, Forrest because I need I need to uh, wrap up. Uh, Ian, how would you line up against, um, you know, a useful Forest team? They got a draw at Preston last night. Um, how how would you uh, how how would you line up? What changes would you make? The idea with. Um... The, the one good thing about Forest is with Steve Cooper, you know exactly how they're going to play. So they play a 3-4-1-2 or occasionally they play a 3-4-2-1. But you pretty much know how they're going to play. So you know they're going to go with three at the back. Um, I don't think there's much we can change. I think we could start Joe Williams. I'd definitely start him. Um, 
in terms of the other midfield players, I think Alex Scott and uh, Hando Masengo. There isn't really anybody else. I think there's a, there could be a debate that Pearson will not change the bit that's working, which is what I call the front three. So Vyman, Martin, Semenyo. So you've got Martin, Semenyo as strikers, Vyman in behind. So when you've got that, the only options you've got is to play 4-3 behind that or 3-4. Uh, my own view is, is I, I would probably go 3-4-1-2 if that meant bloody and Robbie Cundy. Um, I'm not sure about away from home about playing Sam Bell as a uh, right wing back, but if, if you've got three central defenders uh, and he's a part of that in midfield, then I think that gives an opportunity. Um, I think it'd be more likely that Nigel Pearson would play um, Jay De Silva there and bring in Campering on the left to yeah. give us that that speed in that balance. So I would say Jay De Silva plays right wing back in a 3-4-1-2. Uh, Campering comes in on the left and Joe Williams comes into midfield for Eamon who drops down to the bench. Yeah. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't think we've got many other options no. unless we bring in Zach Viner and go four at the back. And, yeah. and I, I don't think that's going to happen. No. Dave, your your thoughts on uh, Forest? I mean, it's a tough place to go. Yeah. But we take a yeah. bow, we, we grasp a point with both hands if offered it now, wouldn't we, going up there? Yeah. I, I think it, for me, it feels very similar to Middlesbrough last Saturday. You know, most people are thinking, point to be a good result here and we end up going and winning so yeah it, you know exactly that it's going to be tough to go away from home especially with our away form at the moment I think you know like Ian said I think when I look at their team and I know Nice probably isn't a massive one for you know matching up horses for courses etc but I do think Saturday is the game that I think we'll play a similar setup actually to how we did against Borough with Joe Williams coming in at the base and I think you know, Ben Arus will drop out, you know, as decently as he did did last night. I think it's just, you know, where we are as a team. Um, and I think, it, you know, you bring Campering back in at left wing back because they've got Jed Spence marauding down that right-hand side. And I think that's not a good matchup for Jada Silva. And then you, you make a choice on the right back or right wing back, whatever you want to call it, whether you keep going with Sam Bell or whether you swap Jada Silva across the play there who's likely to be up against someone like Max Lowe's, not anywhere near the kind of aggressive attacking wing-back as, as Jed Spence is, and then everything else kind of really features. And that's, I think, you know, Callis and Closer, Williams as the front sweeper. Mm. And then the rest of it is kind of an automatic pick. You might, you might possibly bring Naki Wells in um, for Chris Martin. I think, you know, Chris has played two on a trot. As I said, he got a batter in last night. He's probably in his third game on the trot, probably not, it's typically when he's his, at his least effective. And I don't think we can have someone who's not effective on, on, on Saturday. And therefore, I wouldn't be against Wells, Wells starting, but with I should say Pearson probably won't, won't do that. So probably looking like a bit like the side that started last Saturday, but maybe the, the wing-back's a bit changed. Yeah. Um, OK. Neil, your thoughts? I mean, no, Zach Viner not getting a mention uh, there, but that would be the obvious one to take the heat out of uh, young Sam Bell. As far as it can be a bit of an intimidating place to go, can't it? Yeah, diff difficult game. Um, 
what can you say about Zach though? Really, I'm I'm not sure where his head is at the moment. I mean, playing him at right back, one one on one, I can sit, I I can go with Ian and Dave. Actually, I, I think the realistic thing is Pring on the left and De Silva on the right again, really, and and not try and change too much other than the Williams coming back, obviously, and then playing that and. You know, we've either won or been competitive in two games against teams that are challenging for the playoffs playing that formation. So, mm. you know, ultimately, we're not going to change too much because we can't. I mean, it, it's fabulous in a way, looking at our front three, that their fitness has meant, that, you know, I'm touching wood when I actually say this. Yeah. I think that's but, MDF, you know, actually. Is that MDF, is it? Cheap <laughs> MDF. But the, uh, but the, the, you know, the way that we've kept Martin fit this year yeah. is probably a credit to the medical team, the way that we've actually well, done Well, one it. of the few credits. Like yeah. Last, yeah, the last few years, you know, he's had his time out with hamstrings or time out with injuries, and then we struggled. Yeah. Okay, well, to use Nigel's phrase, we are where we are. I came home, I felt the last two matches, I know we lost last night, but it didn't feel like uh, a, a, a defeat, a draw would have been a great result, but, you know, I do think We've turned the corner. I think things are looking up a little bit. I, I think we'd probably get beat by Forest, and then the Doom Bungles will be out there. But, you know, we've been positive today on the Forever Bristol City podcast. Let me thank uh, Dave, Ian, and uh, Neil. Everybody, we'll be back. We'll be doing a live podcast recording at six o'clock after uh, the game against Forest. So, everybody, thanks for listening. There'll be no more sobbing when he starts throbbing his old sweet song. Oh, wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead. Get up, get up, get out of bed. Cheer up, cheer up, the sun is red. Live, love, laugh and be happy. What if I've been blue? Now I'm walking through fields of flowers. Rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours. I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song. When red red robins are ba ba bobbing along. When the red red robin comes ba ba bobbing along, along, there'll be no more sobbing when he starts robbing his old sweet song. Oh, wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead, get up. Get up, get out of bed, cheer up, cheer up, the sun is red, live, love, laugh and be happy, what if I've been blue, now I'm walking through fields of flowers, rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours, I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song, when the red, red robin starts bobbing along.